This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. How are you doing, Adam? I am good. It's getting a bit busy around my house these days as we prepare to move all the way across the country, oh, yeah. a 40 hour, 40 hour drive to our new house. So a bit busy these days, but it's a good kind of busy. That's astonishing. Like As someone from the UK, where you can probably go from the top of Scotland to the bottom of uh, England in like less than a day, the idea of a 40 hour journey is just astonishing. I could probably drive to Africa. In that in that time, uh, I don't know how you're doing that. Before we get into it, I've actually got a question for you to start off with. Um, what do you call the free meals of the day? So starting in the morning, one in the middle of the day, and the one at night. What do you call them? Uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, that's just that. That's sacrilege. That's so wrong because it is breakfast, dinner as the the one in the middle of the day, and then tea for the one at night. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to have to you- seriously consider. If you go into the south, like my grandma called it breakfast, lunch, supper. Supper. See, supper yeah. for me would be like after tea. So maybe like at eight o'clock, half eight sort of meal where, I don't know, I think back in the olden days, maybe like a tea cake or something like that. Um, but anyway, we are a football podcast. Let's remind ourselves that. Um, <laughs> before we get into the football chat, if you could please follow, subscribe, do all that sort of business. If you're new here, if you are, if you're not new here, then I keep saying why you're not subscribed already. Whichever podcast platform you're listening along on should be good. 
If you could leave us a nice rating and a review on that platform, that'd be fantastic. Any complaints about the show, contact abooker17 on Twitter and he will sort you out. The football then, the bloody football, Manchester City for Real Madrid. 13-time European champions, a behemoth of world football, Real Madrid free. There are literally a billion places we could have started in regards to this match. So I guess the easiest one would be to just ask you, Adam, what were your immediate thoughts at full time? And now we've had a little bit of time to digest them, what your thoughts are now. I thought that my thoughts would swing from full time to today. Um, They haven't changed as much as I had expected or maybe even hoped that they would Mm -hmm. after almost 24 hours. Um, I know that there are some people angry that I feel this way and others feel this way, but I felt a little bit deflated at full time. Um, I'm not quite sure. Yes. Um, I know there are a lot of people who seem to be absolutely gobsmacked that any City fan could feel deflated after scoring four goals at home against Real Madrid in a Champions League semifinal, but I think the manner in which City gave up two uh, a two-goal lead on three separate occasions, that was a bit deflating mm, for me. Yeah. If it was one of those you know really tight games in which the teams are neck and neck and trading goals and City come out on top, then then I'd be over the moon. Um, but you know, City probably and... and probably should have totally put this tie to bed in the first leg and, and arguably even in the first half itself. So yeah, a little bit deflated. It was a, it was an incredible game of football, some incredible individual performances from the city players and overall team performance, but um, abuse me all you want, optimists <laughs> of the world. Well, this is already providing a nice little bit of balance because rather surprisingly for anyone who's listened for more than one episode in fact for anyone who's listened for more than 10 minutes um would probably be used to my sort of less optimistic stances on on most Manchester City related topics but I'm actually refusing to feel as disappointed as as, as other people are after that result I know I know it's easy to say because it literally didn't happen like this but had it been 3-3 and City score a fourth to win the game I don't think there's anyone of a City persuasion feeling disappointed with a 4-3 victory over Real Madrid. And even if City had, I don't know, gone 2-0 up, 2-2, 3-2, 3-3, and then still won 4-3, I think everyone's still over the moon. Um, I'll reiterate, Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3, that is... It's a historic scoreline and I just can't bring myself to sort of, of course, is the disappointment and the thoughts of like what could have been and stuff. And I'm sure we'll break it down and, and we'll try and be as analytical as we can. But um, let's go through the talking points of the game then, beginning with the opening 15 minutes or so, because that was even still thinking back. It feels like an absolute fever dream The the sort of the, the way things panned out, obviously very, very, very early goal from Kevin De Bruyne. He's getting a little bit of a, a knack for that, isn't he, in these big games, popping up dead early on with a goal. And then Gabriel Jesus, who is enjoying somewhat of an April remontada and he's just looking like a brand new player. It's crazy what a link to Arsenal can do for a, for a, for a, for a footballer. Um, for me, it was a very un-City-like start to game, like we've seen in those big matches against Liverpool and United and almost a bit like how Liverpool approach these games. I don't know if you thought that in the sense of, if, you know, City are used to controlling the game from the off, but recently we've really seen City go at teams in these massive matches. I don't think it's necessarily too unlike City. Um, they typically come out of the gate swinging, especially at home. Um, and when the fans are really up for it, as they seem to be yesterday, then mm. it's a recipe for a fast start. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was everything that you could ask for in, in the opening 10 or 15 minutes. The the intensity was really high. They they really blitzed Real Madrid. And I think, um, you know, when we initially when we saw the lineups come out and we saw no Casemiro for Real Madrid, then, then we even discussed it, um, you know, privately that, mm. that City could really overrun their midfield. And and they did. And, and when you've got the crowd on you and um, players like Bernardo Silva and, and Kevin De Bruyne, who were really up for it, then um, that opening 15 minutes was was kind of the perfect recipe for a little bit of a disaster from Real, Real Madrid and, and a fantastic start for City. Yeah, you mentioned the crowd there isn't in the in my notes, so to speak, but I think it's important to bring it up because uh, I was at the game and, and I believe by all accounts, even for those who are watching along on the TV, it, it really did transpire. And I'm, I don't know where I'd put it in the best atmospheres at the Etihad. Um, for those unaware, I, I have a season ticket in the in the sort of South Stand corner. Um, wasn't on the cup scheme this year for work reasons, so I've been buying tickets sort of ad hoc and, and was in that what would would be the away end and I know it got a little bit of a flack online with with a few tourists and and it was a touristy night don't get us wrong it's a Champions League game that there's going to be tourists there but it felt like 10 minutes before kickoff the place was bouncing and for someone who and Adam you've been to plenty of City games yourself the Etihad Stadium and atmosphere don't necessarily always go (laughs) together it does sometimes take a big night like this and it felt like for once and and thankfully the crowd responded to what was a a seismic evening yeah I think you know the big games that are talked about throughout the years were um the Hamburg game early on in in the Etihad days um the Liverpool game obviously in in 2019 which I was in the south stand for so I can actually speak to that uh that I missed that one I wasn't actually at that one so uh our our pass didn't cross I was ill so I had to sit that one out I took I took your spot in spirit yeah, and, yeah. and physically, um, yeah. but yeah, and look, that's hopefully something that becomes more consistent down the line for um, Champions League home games for City. I think the more success that the club has in these these games and and in the competition, and the more the fans are going to be up for it um, down the line. So, I think we spoke about the Atletico Madrid game kind of being a coming of age game I won't call this a coming of age game but mm. it did feel like another one of those moments where like some of us who maybe aren't that high on the competition itself yeah. maybe it maybe clicked for some of us like okay this is this is really cool yeah yeah well we talked about it didn't we in our preview with Alex Brotherton who came on the show um just before that game and we said City and the European Cup don't have that connection and it's nights like these that, that really do make that connection grow stronger that is City's last home game in the Champions League this season we wait and see what happens in Madrid but if you think about when we started the campaign with the RB Leipzig game and the the Pep Guardiola comments about the the fans not turning up and not sort of rising to the occasion and you know six goals that night and then you think about where it is in the last game of the Champions League home game of the season and it does feel like City have come a long way so that's great to see um Real Madrid goal then um like I said we'll go through the talking points and we'll try and do it as methodically as possible didn't feel like it came out of nowhere because they there were some moments like misplaced pass, a, a chance not being taken, and, and Real Madrid were just about starting to grow into the game. But it did feel like it massively came against the runner play. Clinical finishing, City could only dream of really with that carrying Benzema hooked effort and their first proper opening Real Madrid had enjoyed all evening. Yeah, it, it's... People have been really raving about City's performance and and 
I'm going to rave about the performance many times throughout this episode. Um, but they were at six and sevens at the back every yeah. once in a while. There would be three or four minute spells where they would give the ball away constantly. And, and there was a few of, you know, those, those classic close calls from Ederson where he'd give it away on the mm. edge of the box or, um, you know, there'd be some dicey passes in and around the 18 yard box. And they, I think they maybe were a bit overwhelmed a little bit, maybe by the moment, maybe by, you know, any sort of press from Real Madrid. I'm not quite sure what it was, but there was some dicey moments. Um, but yeah, that finish from Kareem Benzema, he's, he's an enigma because if you go and watch like a, a, a highlight reel of all of his goals this season, he so rarely slams the ball into the net. Mm. Most of them look like that where it almost looked like Ederson could have done better, but it, he couldn't yeah. have because yeah. Benzema placed it so well and the ball kind of just like dribbles over the line. And I feel like Benzema, his his nous in front of goal and his accuracy in front of goal is so good that he doesn't need to like ever lash the ball mm. into the net. Because when he hit it, he didn't hit it hard at all. But... It, it just sort of dribbled past Ederson's hand. And yeah, he's just, it's scary. I mean, it is scary. Every ball that goes into the box, you think that he's hes going to stick out a, a seventh or eighth leg to get on it and, and stick it in. Have you played Score Hero, the mobile game? No. All oh, right. Okay. So for the for those who have, will know exactly what I mean. But for those who haven't, it's like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's a football game, but you sort of, you, you, you shoot by, curling it with your finger and it's sort of like this slow motion effort and you, and you get like the, the best shots it's not a great game it's really not like the epitome of mobile gaming but you get extra points for it being like in the top top corner and it felt like one of those goals where if he had been given a diagram of the net and he was told you're going to be in this position pick a spot where the goalkeeper isn't going to have any chance of doing it that was exactly where it was and like I said it probably wasn't even half chance it was probably a quarter chance for Benzema and he, he nestles a, a fantastic goal and that's that's the benefit of having individuals who are world-class and can pop up with with superb goals um Let's talk about the defensive fragilities then. Obviously, the talk before the game was about that right-hand side of defence and who would operate there. I think probably the night before, I'd convinced myself by, I don't know if it was lunacy or if there was any bit of logic in there that Gabriel Jesus was going to start as a, on the right-hand side <laughs> as some sort of unorthodox right-back or right-wing-back. I don't know what it was, but as more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. And obviously... It ended up being John Stones, who was probably only 50%, 60% fit, obviously recovering from that muscle problem. Shaky starts the game from Stones, who was visibly struggling at points. He then goes off and is replaced by Fernandinho, which I think before the game, looking back on it, Pep Guardiola and most City fans would have taken 45 minutes of a half-fit John Stones and 45 minutes of Fernandinho instead of 90 minutes of Fernandinho. Do you think that's being fair or we perhaps underestimate Fernandinho a little bit? I think that's fair. And just a question I wanted to pose to you. Do you think that that was a necessary change or a planned change? Because I kind of <laughs> yeah. these big games, I kind of black out watching. Yeah, like I just I think I, that was necessary. I, I, okay, I could because from from the stadium, I don't know if they showed on the on the world feed, but the hug after John Stones came off and the conversation. Obviously, I, I was a good distance away, so I don't, I wasn't sort of privy to anything they were saying, but it felt like it was, yeah, you know, whatever injury and whatever problem it was, it, it hadn't thingy. Because just before that, again, I don't know if he picked it up. He seemed to go down not not some not like 
injured go down, but like he'd, he'd done a chase, hadn't been able to get to it. And then when the ball went out of play, sort of went on his haunches a little bit and, and rubbed something on the back of his leg. I don't know. Mm. I don't know exactly what it was, okay. but yeah, I think that was, I think that was necessary. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it was rough watching Fernandinho kind of square up with Vinny Jr. out wide at times. And and let's be fair to Fernandinho. It's tough for most defenders to yeah, do that. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not the, the first person to get skinned in a humiliating way this season by Vinicius Jr. No. Um, but one thing I just want to mention on the, on that goal where he kind of megged him at, at midfield that that happens at midfield, which means there is an entire half of the field for the rest of the city defense to recover. And I think that's where I have more of a bone to pick with the defense there. I mean, of course, Fernandinho can do better and not get megged on the halfway line. Um, but Ruben Diaz, or I think it was mainly Imeric Laporte, kind of yeah, had a, a, a lane to, to kind of cover with Vinny Jr. coming into the box. And it seemed like nobody wanted to take responsibility and just let him run straight in on Ederson and just slide it home. Um, so I think that was kind of a, just a calamity uh, mm, of mm. from multiple people there, but yeah, it was, it was rough. Every time he got that ball out wide, I, I put my hand in my head into my hands and kind of looked through like I was watching a horror movie and kind of closing my fingers at times. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Have you seen the video of Pep Guardiola's reaction to Fernandinho getting skinned? Because it's yeah, he's literally that. He's like, his yeah. head go, goes behind his hands. He drops to all fours and he's just sort of praying to something or somebody somewhere. I don't know what it was, but obviously that ended up in a goal. I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not sort of pinning the blame on Fernandinho. I think. For some reason, having watched it back, it it looks as if Laporte, and if you didn't know this was the Champions League semi-final, you'd perhaps be mistaken for thinking it was a a school sports day race or like a a, a sprint between two kids. Because Laporte, uh, and I'm not going to be in the business of criticising City players after a night like that and, you know, the defensive fragilities, like we say, but he just sort of doesn't try to make any opportunity to go across it's like they run in completely parallel lines to each other and it's as if Laporte was going to get disqualified for crossing over into the other line it was it was a bizarre goal to concede because it like it came from the halfway line and nobody touched it other than Vinicius Jr and next thing you know it's in the back of the net could he just have been so afraid of leaving Benzema for Vinicius Jr. to pick up and Possibly. maybe he thought Possibly, he thought yeah. I'd rather I'd rather this shot be coming yeah. from from Vinicius than him just sliding it across to the penalty spot to Benzema but still that's kind of football defending 101 is you step to the most dangerous man and then and then you yeah. take it from there yeah I, what I mean by that is it, he just didn't seem to want to close any space because yeah. if you look at where he sort of arches his run at one point and you think that's fair enough staying with him and cutting off the pass but then at one point, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make your mind up, basically. And I suppose when you wait up the law of averages, you give the Vinicius, Vinicius shot a chance more than a Benzema tapping. It's just one of those things. And to be honest, I think it's probably one of those goals that doesn't happen in a more normal game of football. It, you know, City had just scored and, and restored that two-goal lead. It was just one of those basketball games, really, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, moving on. Given those injuries and suspensions, it, it, it really did feel like City's best chance of getting a result from the off was scoring plenty of goals. And City did score plenty of goals. Four on the night, could have had many more. And a lot of the talk surrounding this post-game was about their failure to take chances. Where are you weighing in on this then? Because 
there was there was some sort of I'll give my I'll give my opinion actually after you. But where did you come in on the the city not taking chances? Yeah, I think this is where I differ a bit from the other city fans that were disappointed in that result. Mm. Um, I I wasn't disappointed in the fact that I felt like they missed big chances. There might have been a few chances that they could have taken. I think the the Riyad Mahrez one where it's a lot more difficult for him to slide the ball across the box to Phil Foden than people are are making yeah, it out yeah. to be. Um, it's not it's not FIFA. Riyad Mahrez yeah. can't just hit Y and it's a perfectly slid ball into, into Foden's mm. path. Um, and then I think there was one where where Mahrez hit the post right and Foden kind of had a tap in at the back post. And I want to say it was Nacho made a made a goal line clearance. Yeah. Um, but what I was more disappointed in was just the feeling of the game was that Real Madrid were there for the taking. Um you know, the the first probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes, they were not in the game at all, Real Madrid. Mm, mm. They started to sneak back into the game in that kind of vintage fashion that they do in these big games. And at one point, maybe maybe the 30th minute mark, I said to my girlfriend sitting next to me, like, this, this is now starting to feel like we're going to regret not putting yeah. them to the sword. Um, and that's what it felt like. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, we've missed all these big chances. It was just the feeling of that first 25 minutes was like, we can run away with this right now. Mm. And they they crept back in it. And look, that's not necessarily an indictment on, on City. That's more of like, this Real Madrid team is so good at doing that. You know, let's not forget that there are still plenty of players in this Real Madrid team that were the spine of the team that won three Champions Leagues in a row. Your your Cruz, Casemiro, Modric, Benzema's um, players like that, and that those teams that won three in a row. This is what they did. They didn't they didn't run away with with two legged ties. They just they stayed in every mm. single tie and they crept their way back in, whether they were playing poorly or whether they were playing really well. They found a way to stay into a game at all times. And so so part of me doesn't want to put any blame on City because I don't think they could have played much better. But that's just what Real Madrid do. But but that's where the the deflation comes from. It's like, god, yeah. it fe- it felt like they could have they could have run away with it. Um and they didn't. So look, I'm not blaming anybody for any missed chances or anything like that. I th- I thought City played very well. Um it's just more of the circumstances that I was disappointed with not any particular person or performance just just life just getting yeah. down on life um i know what you mean it's a vicious circle really isn't it because you think city could have had plenty more then you realize that real madrid don't let you get away and you know the chance of city winning 4-0 was was sort of slim but then you realize that real madrid didn't actually play well and then you back at square one um yeah. might be a little controversial here i don't know maybe maybe not maybe i've misjudged it but I don't think the reaction towards City's missed chances is entirely justified. And I'm actually speaking about the sort of the wider media reception here. I've seen a few pieces from from well-respected journalists and outlets where a lot of their talk was, it's happened again for Pep Guardiola in a semi-final. And obviously we saw a lot of it at Bayern Munich, but... but I don't think that game was was justified. Um, goes without saying, really, City, City really should have scored more. But there was a video going around on Twitter after the game and it was labelled something like City's 10 big chances missed against Real Madrid or something. And when you look at him, like half of them were even half chances, let alone big chances. They were like crosses being headed away or sort of like free kicks whipped in, no one's on the end of it. So 
first of all, people have to learn what a big chance actually is. But City scored four goals at an XG of around 3.0 was the last time I saw it. I think it may have been like 3.0. 10 or something like that but it was about three um so technically speaking city outperformed their xg and and pretty comfortably too and how and i actually think there's games this season where city have created more and scored less i'm thinking like crystal palace away for example the chances we created there you could have had genuinely could have had 10 goals city if i'm being honest probably could have scored six maybe seven but the idea that City would you know unlucky not to score eight is you know it's an utter fallacy for me the issue was as we've mentioned with the defense but when you consider the, the circumstances and as frustrating as it is three goals to Real Madrid in that sort of game and uh, sorry four goals in that sort of game and still winning the match has to be considered a positive Real Madrid uh I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think they've scored at least three in each of their last three Champions League knockout games. So they got them against Chelsea and then the PSG one as well. So if you sort of use that as part of the course for Real Madrid, City outscoring them is good, right? You know, like if you can expect Real Madrid to score three in a Champions League game, City have done the job. Yeah, and let's not forget that with no more away goals, there yes. there's a whole yes. different... Like City genuinely are ahead in a tie, whereas if if you win four three at home in the first leg of a tie that has away goals in it, that feels like a loss. Yeah, because 100%. That, we've seen that many times. With well, Pep Monaco, Guardiola for example, City. isn't it? Yeah, that that's and, the, and, the stock and, answer. And Tottenham, you know, I mean, that was obviously yeah, the yeah. second leg, but but conceding three at home, and you rarely get through ties with away goals conceding three at home. But look, City could have scored more. They maybe should have scored more. But I completely agree with you that you absolutely cannot criticize a team for scoring four goals at home in a Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid. If you are, then I think you're spoiled. Genuinely, yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I think you're spoiled. Um, they can easily go to the Bernabeu and score four again. And let's not forget, this team is far better playing away from home than, than yeah, the yeah. Etienne. Like, far better. I feel far more confident going there than playing at home. And, and I don't know if that's the onus being on City to maybe up the tempo at home and, and when they have the crowd behind mm. them and um, they maybe force the issue at times, whereas away from home, they they I think that these City players revel in the whistles and, and the boos and the, and the shrieks. I think it was Alex that called them the shrieks that yeah, were here at yeah. the Bernabeu. Um, I think they revel in holding on to the ball for 15 straight minutes amongst the whistles and the boos um, away from home. So, yeah, four goals at home, Champions League semifinal against the most prestigious team in in the competition. You can't complain about that. You can have complaints maybe about some some defensive errors or or something like that, but you can't you can't complain about wanting more goals. Shriek is a beautiful example of onomatopoeia, isn't it? Like, when you hear the word shriek, you can just you hear that you you know that feeling and Alex was spot on it wasn't he you know that sort of that environment in the Bernabeu and that's to come that that's to come but I've got a theory sticking in the first leg I've got a theory which I appreciate is is never a good thing to come out of my mouth and hear from me but but stick with us um I actually don't think City score four if Real Madrid don't score three and what I mean by that is when you look at the patterns of play each time after City went two goals in front Bar the first half an hour in the first in the first half when City were really going at it, and I think Foden whistled one wide, Mares hit the side net in, and you know, 
are they, yeah, yeah, the chances they, they probably should hit the target, but you know, they're not, they should have scored, they should have scored, they should have scored, they were, you know, hard chances. Um, but but when City go two goals in front, they immediately sort of switched at, at points, particularly in the second half, from helpful ever attacking to that sort of more accustomed, patient, composed build-up play and just really controlling the game. And whether or not that was a, a still a case of we're going to go try and... Well, of course it was going to try and score some more goals, but it wasn't a case of we have to score. I think he used the Bernardo okay. Silva goal as the prime example in this theory for me because... City, uh, I'm sorry, Zinchenko, I think it was, had been fouled and City were about to get a free kick in a very dangerous, sort of very good opportunity in a good position. Bernardo Silva carries on playing and he takes a, harsh to call it a pot shot, but it's it's an optimistic effort to try and beat Courtois from there. And obviously it goes in. And do City, does, does Bernardo Silva, if City say two, three goals in front, then take a touch and go, you know what, we'll have the free kick and, you know, we're not we're not going to try and speed the game up as much as possible like that. Or was he playing to the fact, you know, that the the occasion and the, the way the game was panning out and it did feel like one of those nights where you could, Edison could have had a shot and it could have possibly found its way in. And I, I don't know if I'm perhaps being... A little bit, uh, sort of trying to make myself feel a little, bit, a little bit better. But like I said, I don't think City score four if Real Madrid don't peg them back as much times as they did. I'm going to totally flip it on its head and play devil's advocate and say that you say that if Real Madrid don't score three, City don't score four. I'm going to say if City don't score four, Real Madrid don't score three. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think that's sort of... I guess Which is still fun. still diff- completely different from from what you've said because I think this is more of Real Madrid doing Real Madrid and being like, you're going to score four, we're going to keep ourselves in it and score three somehow. Yeah, that, yeah. That's kind of more how I viewed it was like, that's what this team does. They yeah, stick yeah. around and they keep yeah. themselves in it until the moment that they strike and they go ahead, which is still why there's a little bit of worry on my part. But um but yeah, I I think City still kind of played their game. They picked their moments to go hell for leather. They picked their moments to to slow it down. Um, but I think it could go either way with those two um, those two sentences, I guess. Yeah, I, but I suppose it's sort of it, it's just flipping it on its head, isn't it? Because if City don't score four, Real Madrid don't score three, and Real Madrid don't score three, City don't score blah blah. blah. So we'll just get into a sort of roundabout. But um, shout out to Nikki Bandini who who mainly covers Serie A, but on on today's Guardian Football Weekly, she she basically summed it up perfectly for me and said that both teams played their game, and where in the Atletico second leg. Diogo Simeone did a fantastic job of bringing City down to their level. And you could argue that City did a fantastic job of matching Atletico at their level. But whereas um, in this Real Madrid game, we spoke about in our own preview where we said that Carlo Ancelotti is a very one-dimensional manager and not to his detriment. Again, I'll reuse that phrase. But it is a case of individual brilliance and fantastic carrying Benzema goal, fantastic uh, Vinicius Junior run. Fantastic Karim Benzema penalty. That's their individual brilliance. They are Real Madrid. They're going to have those players. So both teams really did feel like it was it was their sort of their textbook performances, if you like. And um, before we go on to anything else, and if you've got any any other things to add about the the match, the result, the the way it panned out, we'll, we'll we'll do a little bit of individuals now. But if there's any sort of other talking points from the game, speak now or forever hold your peace, Mister Booker. I have said it all. Let's let's talk about some individuals. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, 
number one then on my list of Manchester City players to <clears throat> wax lyrical about. Alexander Zinchenko, who has a fantastic knack of being dropped into high-pressure situations and then just performing completely out of his skin. I tweeted this at halftime, and I could have probably copied and pasted the tweet at full-time as well. When you consider, and I appreciate I don't want to sort of turn this into um, too emotional or too sort of over-the-top, but when you consider where his head must have been at off the pitch in the last couple of months, considering all the things going on in Ukraine, and the fact he's captain of the national team and a figurehead and a vocal figurehead at that, it's astonishing to sort of consider how well he's been doing whilst not being in the team, but when he is dropped in there, like I said, performing at such a high level. And once again, it's getting to sort of the springtime, isn't it? And Zinchenko's looking like one of the best left-backs on the planet. Yeah, and it, look, it's it's so admirable. I mean, it's it's so hard to to not love the guy. Um, yeah, and and in more you know in football terms, I know this is a sentiment that's been repeated over and over by pundits and fans, and you know we can't forget that this is a guy that has had big clubs after him for years. Mm, you know, yeah. West Ham, Napoli, Sevilla, Wolves, like big clubs that he could go to play thirty odd games a year and and challenge for things. Um, and every single time he he decides to stay and fight for a place at City, even though probably every single year going into the season, he's told, I don't know how much playing time there'll be for mm, you. Mm. Um, but then, you know, he's dropped into these big games, like huge games in the Champions League, huge games in the Premier League. And what a luxury he must be for Pep Guardiola and yeah. any manager in, in that situation that he can sit sit on the bench cold for weeks and, and get thrown into these huge games and, and look like he's played 30 odd games that season. I mean, that is, that is somebody that you would design in a lab if you were mm, a manager. Mm. Uh, I, it part of my tweet at halftime was all the subtext really was the only way Zinchenko should ever be allowed to leave the club is on his own accord. Because like you say, to have a player who can, we don't know him personally, do we? And there's every chance that every couple of weeks he's in the manager's office cheering Guardiola's ear off, saying, why am I not playing more? Why am I not playing more? I'm going to storm to my agent. I'm going to try and engineer a move away. And that's maybe where we hear the links from. It's unlikely though, isn't it? Because he does seem, and, and we've seen it the last few months, an absolute gentleman and, a, and an absolute pleasure to watch. Um, just on that then, do you think how, how, how we've obviously spoke <clears> about the defence and the sort of the mismatches at times, but they almost felt, sort of strange individual moments of lapse of concentration, stuff like that. Aside from the injury, do you think the the defence was well balanced and would you pursue Zinchenko in the second leg, considering there's every chance that Kyle Walker and Jao Cancelo could be back? I know we'll do a big preview for the Real Madrid one and it may not it may be it may not, not necessarily count for anything because an injury might crop up or whatever. But right now do you think Zinchenko is the perfect <coughs> man for the second leg at the Bernabeu? No, I think if Kyle Walker and, and Jao Cancelo are both fit, then they both play. But I think what Zinchenko does offer that maybe he didn't offer four weeks ago, five weeks ago, is somebody that you could play Cancelo and Kyle Walker 90 minutes or possibly um, 120 in, in a Champions yeah. League game. And Zinchenko can be slotted right back in at the weekend in a high-pressure Premier yeah. League games, which... Some of these Premier League games have almost more pressure on them than these Champions League games. Right, like, right. if you lose over two legs, five four to Real Madrid. I mean, I know the pressure is on City; they've never won a Champions League, and blah 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 blah. But it's almost understandable. Whereas, like, 
I almost feel, and we'll t- we'll talk about the Leeds game a little bit later, but I feel way more nervous about these games at, at Leeds, at yeah, West Ham, yeah. things like that, where like you can drop him into that one moment can end your season type of environment. Um, so I think that maybe four or five weeks ago, we almost didn't consider him a part of the rotation at fullback mm-hmm. because he just, he wasn't. He played in, in your odd FA Cup game, your odd Carabao Cup game, and that was it. So it was almost like, Kyle Walker, Nathan Ake, and uh, Jao Cancelo were the three fullbacks for for a while. Um, But I I think what he does give you is somebody that we, I don't know why, you know, I don't think Pep Guardiola ever lost any sort of faith in him, but he's now renewed the faith a bit in the last few weeks of like, don't worry, drop me into any any game and I'm fine. So so I don't necessarily see him playing in the second leg if if Kyle Walker is fully fit and Cancelo is obviously back from his his yellow card suspension. Um but he is obviously Mr. Reliable and and will still be used in big games the rest of the season. That that's for sure. Yeah, to quote the Stadio <clears throat> podcast guys and Musa Kwanga and Ryan Hunt, he's very much a plug-and-play player, isn't he? He's the one you can take out of the cupboard whenever you need, whatever the weather condition, whatever the time of year. Typically spring, though, which is something maybe you need to look into. But, uh, yeah, he definitely gets on with it. A um, few more shout-outs for individuals then. Gabriel Jesus is really finding form at the right time. Bernardo Silva was superb, as always, and got man of the match. But for me, I don't know about you, Adam, but for me, the standout man yet again was Kevin De Bruyne. <clears throat> De Bruyne now has seven goal or assist contributions in his last 10 Champions League knockout games. A man for the biggest of stages and it's nights like that that you sit back and realise that Kevin De Bruyne genuinely is one of the greatest players, not only just to wear a City shirt, but in European football itself. I think we're now at a at a stage with him that maybe we should have already been at uh, before this, but we're now kind of at a stage with him where <clears throat> it's not worth pointing out. Yeah. Like, yeah. What more can you say? Like... If you watch Messi <clears throat> on a weekly basis, you don't need to point out each week how good Messi is. It's just, it's unspoken. Mm. It's just, yeah. it's just known. And that's where we're at with Kevin De Bruyne now. You know, there was probably a month or two ago where the traction on him doing the three-peat of, of the PFA player of the year was starting to get, to get going. And um, I think we're, we're looking at like a Ballon d'Or, like a, a yeah. an actual yeah. Ballon d'Or candidate now. That yeah. that's the kind of season that he's having. Um, so, yeah, it's scary how good he is and and how good he's playing. And many people consider David Silva or you know some of the the older players like a, a Colin Bell or a Mike Summerby to be some of the, mm-hmm. the greatest players to ever play in a city shirt. But I think that <clears throat> whenever this beautiful Belgian leaves, whether it's in two years or five years, whenever it is. Um, I think he's going to go down as the best player to ever wear a city shirt. And, and I think it may not even be close at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Um, on that topic of De Bruyne and all timer list in terms of city players, it's interesting, isn't it really? Cause I'm not prepared to sort of put my neck on the line and compare technical ability wise, quality wise, the differences between David Silva, Sergio Aguero, Vincent company, Colin Bell, King Cladzi, you know, all of those names we could mention. But what I find interesting is that Kevin De Bruyne arrived at City during a time when 
it, obviously it wasn't all done because City are still yet to win the Champions League. They hadn't won back-to-back Premier Leagues at that time. But those initial hurdles that City had to jump over to become a big club had already been taken. Like the first sort of the first strides towards being one of the biggest clubs in Europe was already well along the line. So it's interesting. I don't know where you would you think perhaps if Kevin De Bruyne had been take Yaya Torre for example, if this Kevin De Bruyne and you know. He may not have worked in that team, but just hypothetically speaking, if we drop the the way Kevin De Bruyne is performing now into the time when Yaya Torre arrived, do you think that's already set in stone? And do you think that at the you know we are very much living through the the, the presence of greatness and we're witnessing history unfold beneath, uh, in front of our eyes? Is it is to his detriment that he's surrounded by so many good players and so many players good players have come before him that perhaps the the greatness aspects of of his performances is going to miss a little bit, or do you think there's still a step that he can go? So, for example, delivering a Champions League would be a perfect one, really, wouldn't it? <clears throat> yeah, if City win the Champions League this season and he continues playing through the final what 180 minutes of the Champions League campaign um, <clears throat> this way, then then I think it solidifies him as not only maybe the best player but the most important player to, to ever wear the shirt. Yeah. If, if he kind of, I see people kind of, you know, giving it the label of, of him carrying city. I don't, I don't buy into that. I think that's total nonsense. Um, be, I think it's kind of a cop out to say that whoever is the standout player for a team that's winning is, is carrying that team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting theory. It's an interesting question because you know, we talk about Sergio Aguero and, and David Silva and Yaya Torre and uh, as the greats kind of in a way that like they brought the club to another, another level <clears throat> and now De Bruyne is is playing for the club when the club is kind of at its level and maybe at its peak level. The, the club may never get, you know, mm, yeah. ha- may never have a, a more successful era than this. Like we, we forget that, that Pep Guardiola is here and he's not going to be here forever. Yeah. Who knows what happens after that? Um, but it's, it's an interesting theory and, but let's not forget that he didn't come, like you said, city, haven't won a champions league or blah, blah, blah. But this period of dominance is still totally different than the Yaya Torre, David Silva era. Like that was, Mm. we've won our first cup. Fantastic. We've won our first league. Fantastic. We've won our second league. Fantastic. This is two leagues in three years, four cups in a row things like that, like multiple Champions League semifinal appearances in a row, perhaps consecutive uh, or semifinals and, and perhaps consecutive finals. So he's the focal point of of bringing the club to an either even higher level. So I think it's still actually very comparable to the David Silva and, and Yaya yeah. Torre era. Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, shall, we, shall we afford ourselves a moment of hyperbole then and take a take a chance to bask in what was a fantastic game of football because I think it's easy to forget really that was only City's third Champions League semi-final in the club's history and it's also easy to forget like I said at the top Real Madrid have won this competition 13 times now for those sort of football purists and those football historians go back and look at some of the ways Real Madrid won their early European Cups to call it corrupt would perhaps be leaving us open to a libel case but you can read between the lines but still City haven't even competed in 13 Champions League campaigns let alone won one which is obviously the goal at the moment 
And the magnitude of Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3 cannot be forgotten. And I guess because we play so many meaningless games in the Champions League, you know, the group stage with two teams going through, even if you get someone like PSG drawn in the same group, <coughs> is essentially a formality because, like I said, two teams go through, lose, you could lose three games and still qualify, which I believe perhaps Atalanta did. I don't know. Perhaps um, there's a team I can't remember. Um, anyway, so they play so many meaningless games in that competition. It was nights like that, like we said, that really sort of, they get the juices flowing, don't they? And and that will go down in history, not only in Manchester City history, but whatever happens in the second leg, that will be one of the greatest Champions League games of all time. And City were a part of it. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. It was only six years ago when City played in their first ever, semi, ever semi-final. Um, but I still vividly remembering uh, remember the feeling of, not belonging in the yeah. semifinals. Imposter clubs syndrome that, really, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But but almost no, because imposter syndrome is more of like when you do belong, but you feel like you don't. And I still like, City didn't really belong in those days. Like, yes, yeah, they got yeah. there, but like, it just, it, it didn't feel right at the time to, to be in semifinals with clubs like Real Madrid and Juventus and Barcelona. Whereas these days, does two semifinal appearances in a row surprise anybody? Would two final appearances in a row surprise anybody? And and the best part about it is this is only the beginning of this club's adventure in this competition. Mm. Like mm. these types of games like last night and and even games at the, like at the Wanda Metropolitano a few weeks ago, they're going to leave the players, the staff, the coaches, and, and even the executives wanting more, wanting more nights like that. And, you know, since we are speaking – in a moment of hyperbole, it's it's not hard to imagine in 10 years that City maybe have won a few Champions Leagues and um, they're well on their way to being talked about as as European royalty is, you know, the, the yeah. phrase that we kind of hate about some of the clubs yeah. around us. But City could be on their way to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, Aishan of the, the 9320 Parish put out a tweet yesterday, sort of summing it up and saying, you know, obviously similar position to you. He's out in the US and said, you know, sometimes it's a bit, little bit difficult to to really comprehend those games. But yesterday felt like a, a, a huge moment and one that just sort of really got all the senses, all the senses jiggling. And he said, you know, perfection is never going to be achieved in football, but that felt as close to it. And, and I replied essentially saying that, it's the absence of perfection. It's the conceding free goals. It's the way the game swings backwards and forwards and it's leaving the stadium or turning the TV off or going away from the match and being disappointed with a 4-3 victory over Real Madrid. That makes it so perfect because if City had won, I know this sounds ridiculous, but if City had sort of cruised for every single game in the Champions League and they'd done the same last year, they'd done the same the year before, you know, not conceding a goal, almost making a parody of it, you know, it, it isn't as exciting really, is it? And we've spoken on here before about the way City play football and if it is truly exciting, who's the most exciting team? Is it Liverpool? Is it City? You know, all of that nonsense. But that was, that, that, that was a real classic. And to be fair, a City a, a sort of, Sometimes on the wrong end of it, but they've they've been in, involved in quite a few Champions League classics. You know the the Monaco game, the Tottenham game. I actually think that PSG, the the both legs in that game were from a tactical point of view, and for someone who likes to watch football last season, that was a fantastic two legs of football and the way teams break each other down. Even the Dortmund game before that was fantastic. And then again today, um, sorry, again this week, the Real Madrid one, and, and who knows what the second leg holds. Yeah, it's look, it, it's always kind of a, a cliche when people talk about 
domestic football being so different from international football. And it's kind of the same way from league play to Champions League play. You know, you can't expect City to to play the same way that they do in, in the Premier League, in the Champions League, and you can't expect the opponents to play the same way. It's a completely different style. It's a completely different feeling. It's a different type of emotion. Um, so I think we'll probably see a lot more of these down the line and, and go back and watch the great Champions League nights, you know, they're like this. They're not mm, two nils mm, with, with one team yeah. seeing 85% of the possession, like like we see in the Premier League with City a lot or with Liverpool. Um, yeah, it was <clears throat> it was a fantastic game. I The first text I sent to my dad after was, I wish I could have watched that as a neutral. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll never know. Maybe when City, when or if City get through the second leg, uh on the good side, then I'll go back and rewatch it and, and just enjoy it instead of um, pacing. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was it was fantastic. Right, enough Real Madrid talk for one podcast that will no doubt come in in the preview before the second leg and a gigantic second leg next week in the <clears throat> Spanish capital. But the big games keep on coming. A difficult trip away to Ellen Road <clears throat> for Manchester City against Leeds United. On Saturday evening, UK time. Um, and that's a stadium that you haven't won at since September 2000. What are your thoughts then heading into that one? I know you mentioned before that you are possibly a little bit more nervous because <clears throat> of what's on the line. And, you know, it's, what is it, five months of work in the Premier League compared to a few games in the Champions League. So it's going to be a pretty, I think it's going to be a tough game. It's a chocker. I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm not either. It's worth mentioning that City haven't won there since September 2000, but Leeds were also out of the top flight for 16 years. Oh, damn um, it. I, oh, you've ruined it. It doesn't sound as good when you say it like so, that. We've only played one since then. Yeah, um, but it's an awful place to go yeah. play, especially in a big game, especially when Leeds are in a relegation scrap. It's going to be a horrible game if city get a couple early goals maybe it'll calm the nerves a little bit but yes i very much feel far more nervous for this than than going to the bernabeu or or real madrid coming to the etihad um part of that is the fact that i'm still a not a 100 bought into the champions league and may never i might not ever be um part of it is not wanting liverpool to win the premier league and and therefore wanting City to win every single game. Part of it is wanting City to win the Premier League. I am sick to my stomach at the thought of that Ellen Road atmosphere and and Leeds possibly taking an early lead. And I I don't I honest to God don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> That's great for a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> There's your preview. I don't want to speak about it like a a kid with a slapped ass. Um, well, I'll talk about it then because similarly to you, it. I'm not looking forward to it one bit. Um, it's not the ideal match to have between a Champions League semi-final with Real Madrid. You almost wish the Watford game and the Leeds <clears throat> game had been swapped around and City sort of have that that uh, procession against Watford, I think we could call it. And, you know, you could you probably get away with playing the under-12s <clears throat> and, and still get away with three points. But it, it goes without saying, like you said, the, the crowd will be up for it. City's first trip to Ellen Road with fans since they returned to the Premier League, obviously didn't manage to win their last season, although it was the place Ruben Diaz made his debut for City. So, you know, it does it does harbour a few <clears throat> decent things or two. Um Important to note, like you say, that Leeds are very, very much in a relegation scrap. And 
I don't know. Call me a lunatic, and, and I'm more than happy to be called one, but I often find teams who have stuff to play for aren't as dangerous as teams that don't. And I know that's the second time this podcast I've said something that really doesn't make much sense. But what I mean by it is that far too often I have seen clubs who have got stuff, who who are chasing for stuff. And I don't necessarily mean this is like a foolproof answer. You know, City could very much drop points at Ellen Road and it it wouldn't necessarily be, be a shock. But when you have a club under so much pressure as Leeds United are at the moment, because let's face it, probably three points keeps them up. They may not need that, but you know, a win should sort of steady the ship going into the final four matches. But when you've got a club under that much pressure, we saw it with Watford, for example. You know, they were probably as good as down before they came to the Etihad. But when they're when they're sort of it's last chance saloon, it does sort of bring in a few more mistakes and the the lingering thought in the back of the mind. Whereas if you're a club who, for example, maybe Brentford, take them as the as the example here where they've not got much to play for. You know, they're in the first campaign in the Premier League. The the fans are loving it. They're looking for as high a position as possible. And, you know, there's that proverbial saying they're on the beach. But actually, sometimes it, it is the opposite way around. And, you know, players are fighting for the position in the squad and they might strengthen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It could go either way, but I don't know. Maybe that's something that we could cling on to. And, and the, the, the pressure of the home fans, whilst it may be raucous, could also work the opposite way sometimes. It could. Um, I think a big part of that is, I think there's a lot of factors. Who the manager is, what the what the style of play is. You know, if if um, if the club is really really expansive, then or that you know the style of play is very expansive, then maybe there are some more mistakes. Whereas if you're just putting ten men behind the ball, then it's yeah. it, it gives you a chance to be more solid and. Um, Knowing what I know about Jesse Marsh, I've watched his teams play for a long time, all the way from the U.S. to to Austria, um, and and then now obviously here at Leeds, they'll be up for the game, and mm-hmm. maybe there'll yeah. there'll be the big pressure on them, and the, the crowd will be behind them. Um, but from what I've seen of Leeds playing at Ellen Road in the Premier League era, which is to be fair, not much. They were out of the Premier League for for sixteen years, like we said. Um, they get going at home when that crowd is behind them, they especially they with do. the type of football that they play, especially under Bielsa. I mean, I know it was a bit of a shit show at the end, but but Jesse Marsh has them playing much better football, way more compact football, more disciplined. So I think it's going to be really, really tough. I, I don't know whether I buy into the logic that you'd rather have a team or you'd rather not play a team on the beach and you'd rather play a team fighting for their life. I I don't know that I feel one way or the other. I think there's just, there's too many factors that go into it. And I think for city, the, the, the motto is going to be the typical cliche of take it one game at a time. It's a game they should win. They're a vastly superior football team. Um, I don't think atmospheres really get to this team. I, I think they thrive in those types of atmospheres. As I mentioned earlier, um, so I'm sick to my stomach thinking about it, but I, I think the city players will be going into it looking at, at looking at it as any other game of football. Speaking of those players, then, do you reckon we see a lot of rotation? Um, one man who springs to mind as a, a dead cert starter is Nathan Ake. I think this is the sort of game, you know, mid-Champions League knockout tie, especially considering John Stones went off, or at least we think he went off, injured and, and probably won't play a part. He makes sense to come in there, whether or not that's alongside Diaz, alongside Laporte, I'm not too sure. Zinchenko, again, he's played two games in a row. Is that one too many? Is Kyle Walker fit? You know, they're 
questions we don't have the answers for. But specifically going forward, you've got a lot of players there, and particularly, you know, Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish, who combined played what was no more than perhaps 15 minutes in the in the midweek game against Real Madrid. They're probably going to come in as well. But then do you mess it up and then take the likes of De Bruyne, who's playing fantastically out, and give him a rest? Or Gabriel Jesus, who probably may not have started Real Madrid had he not scored four at the weekend, but he did. And then he scored again and you've got a player in fantastic form. You know, there's all sorts of permutations, really. And it goes back to what we're saying about the potential result and the factors that can play in there. I'm not too sure how much rotation we see. But then again, it could be a case of Saturday evening. It's seven changes or something like that. I think we'll see a similar team to what we saw against Watford. I think Grealish and Sterling come back in. Um, yeah. I have a feeling that that Nathan Ake will play, but I think he'll play at center half. I, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. just I'm gonna give I'm gonna flat out give you a team prediction right okay. now. I'm gonna say Ederson back four of Cancelo on the right, Diaz and Ake partnership, and then Zinchenko on the left. And part of that is because I expect Kyle Walker not to play, and then I expect him to play in the second leg at the Bernabeu. Um, and therefore Zinchenko, I think, can play two games in a row right now because he won't play in Madrid. I think we'll probably see... I think we may see all of the midfielders. Rodri, Gundogan, Bernardo, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, because I think that City will want to really, really, really control the game. Yeah. And, and make sure that it's not a game where the crowd can get up. Um, and then, therefore, only Grealish and Sterling to come in and, and kind of play around whoever is playing at that false nine. So I'm going to go with that back four. Rodri, Bernardo, Gundogan, midfield three. And then Kevin De Bruyne, Jesus, or sorry, Kevin De Bruyne, Sterling, Grealish, front three. So I think it's going to be fairly similar to Watford. And then we probably see the exact same lineup from the first leg in the second leg against Madrid, just with those players coming back to fitness back in to the team. I'm going to say that one of, I'm not too sure and I'm not prepared to say who, one of Bernardo or Kevin De Bruyne starts on the bench. I'm not too sure who it may be. And obviously Gundogan comes in there and then you have Raheem Sterling, Jack Grealish and a Foden, Amares, who's playing alongside them, I don't know. But um, I, I just think perhaps maybe that midfield three, <clears throat> one of them might need to sit it out to have full effects at the Bernabeu. Who knows? Who knows? But um, I think the good thing about this run of fixtures is that it's Tuesday to Saturday to Wednesday. So it's, it's essentially maximized the breaks in between yeah, the games. Yeah. Um, so we've spoken about how this team... There are many players in this team that thrive playing multiple games a week. I think players like Bernardo Silva, um, even players like Gabriel Jesus, Phil Foden, Drao Cancelo, Rodri. <clears throat> the good thing about that that game against Real Madrid is, yes, it was a fantastic scintillating game, but I don't think it took anywhere near the amount of energy out of these players that say the game at the Wanda Metropolitano no, did. No, not at all. And so I think City can maybe get back into a rhythm of playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, which is when we see the best form of this team. Like all of the the great winning runs that this team has gone on, they've started in what, January, mm. where they're playing or, or December where they're playing uh, you know, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday for months on end. 
Um, so I think City get back into a groove here where I don't think it needs to be this mass rotation like we saw in that crazy week with Liverpool and Atletico Madrid twice. I actually think that we do see more of the guys that Pep Guardiola is going to rely on the rest of the season and with one or two tweaks here and there. But I don't think we're going to see that kind of mass rotation like we saw in that period. The guys sounds like a Netflix documentary. <laughs> like Bernardo, Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne sampling, I don't know, craft beers from their local brewery and giving their opinions on it. I would, and really, I would really pay pre- endless money to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bernardo's definitely like a really fruity IPA guy and, and Rodri's probably there just like, I don't know, the simple the simple four ingredient. He probably just orders and- a milk. <laughs> He's like, can yeah. I just have a glass of whole milk, please? Yeah, with one ice cube. Um, we'll have to commission that. We'll, we'll we'll have to pull some strings and see who can put that together. But um, in the meantime, I guess we'll get out of here unless there are any any burning points that you need to make about life, about football, about City, about literally <clears throat> anything. Here's your chance. It seems like we've officially committed to just doing two episodes a week at yeah, this point yeah. so inadvertently uh, as well i won't feel like i've got a week in between my <laughs> my burning questions or thoughts or desires so if i feel like i've missed something out i've only got a few days to to get it yeah. out of my system yeah and if anyone wants to see adam do an agony ant section then uh just fire some questions and we can uh we can get him sort of working through life's dilemmas and any problems you may have in your life but um until then we'll leave it there it's been as always an absolute pleasure if you can subscribe follow review rate all of that lovely business share it with your friends at us on twitter interact whatever you want to do then please feel free don't forget you can always follow the city report as well for all the latest breaking news to do manchester city but until then thank you very much for listening i have been amos murphy and i have been adam booker see you later Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 